the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. Um, You're listening to to Alexander Perry um, and this is episode one of the Thrill of the Hill podcast series and uh, I'm joined today by Daniel Stout who's here to discuss sheep upland grazing strategies and kind of the the broader um, sheep industry in Scotland. Hello Alec, yeah not too bad, how's yourself? Yeah, yeah, can't complain. Um, adjusting to, to working from home um, and, and obviously this is pretty unprecedented times. Do you want to give um, the folks who may be listening uh, a kind of overview of, of what your background is um, and what you're here to, to talk about today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, my name is Daniel Stout. Uh, I work down with SAC down in Air. Um, I'm also part of the Graze Up group, which is providing kind of grassland advisory um, services to farmers. Um, I've got a kind of hill upland uh, sheep background uh, coming from Fair Isle up in Shetland. Uh, we're running Shetland ewes on the hill uh, and crossbred ewes on the inby, um, putting Shetland ewes to Highlanders and then to Suffolk tops uh, and selling good. them in store in September. Good, good, good stuff. Um, you've also spent some time in Wales, haven't you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, so I work for a ram breeding company down there. Uh, so good. I've been between there and also living in Stirling um, before now. Yeah. So, so Daniel, in light of in light of Brexit, um, COVID, uh, and, and some fairly volatile markets, um, what what should sheep farmers in Scotland be be doing to to kind of build resilience uh, into their business right now? Yeah, I, I think you know there's a lot of price uncertainty going ahead. We know the wool price is certainly going to be down this year, um, and with Brexit as well, looking to maybe have a big impact on land prices. Um, I think really now is the time to do a bit of benchmarking. Benchmark mm-hmm. where you're at, you know, financially in terms of your performance of the stock, uh, and also kind of get maybe get a better hand on the, you know, your grazing resources and the kind of potential um, of the farm. Um, I know we've done, we've just recently costed out our farm at home, um, and it's really highlighted some cost saving opportunities we can do. Um, mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. also going forward as we're changing our breeding strategy at home, it'll let us track that and really see if we're on the right, you know, on the right level. Yeah. Yeah. So, D- Daniel, from, from my perspective, um, coming from uh, an environmentalist, conservationist kind of point of view, I-, I remember in years past, we were told that um, the hills were being left to the to the birds and the butterflies. Um, wh- what's your view on that? And, and, you know, how do we how do we tackle those issues specifically for, for upland guys? I think a lot of the time on a lot of farms, there's probably there's an underutilization of the hill just purely from a financial perspective. You know, they're not getting mm-hmm. the production on the hills um, and also labor availability. Then um, there is certainly, you know, a reduced stock on a lot of hills. Um, but there's certainly biodiversity, you know, biodiversity benefits um, of having livestock mm-hmm. grazing on different plants, different species. I mean, we, we've seen a lot of development of grazing programs in recent times. Um, how accessible, in your opinion, are these to, to farmers in LFA areas? Yeah, I think, you know, certainly as long as you've got an in-by, you know, in-by ground, you can look to set up what they might call a rotational or paddock grazing system. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It certainly doesn't need to be anything complicated. You know, you don't have to go and buy yep. thousands of meters of, you know, wire and do all this sort of stuff. Um, sort of a beginning step would maybe to, if you could identify, say, four different fields 
of even if they're roughly five or six hectares, you know, fairly big in by parks. Um, mm-hmm. But just start mm-hmm. by kind of bunching group of ewes. Say you've got, you know, 150, 200 um, of your hill type ewes or twins or your upland cross yep. ewes and just get them moving on even weekly shifts. Um, and that what that'll do is they graze the park, one park down for seven days. It gives all the other fields 21 days or that field 21 days until it has to be grazed again. Um, mm-hmm. And what you're doing there is by having the animals contained in one field, they're grazing it down uh, to a tight residual. You're maximizing the utilization of that grass. So they're not wasting it like they would if they were set stocked. Um, and by giving the rest of the parks 21 days rest or even you know 25 days rest, what you're doing is you're allowing that grass, you're giving a recipe, it can build root reserves, it can build plant, you know, leaf reserves. Um, and mm-hmm. you can actually grow more grass. Um, some estimates are, you know, maybe 20, 20% more grass uh, on that front. Um, and what you'll also do, particularly for upland situation, would be on that small amount of in-buy that you're doing, you're really utilizing that area of in-buy. Um, and by rotation and grazing through the summer, you'll better maintain the quality going mm-hmm. into sort of late summer, autumn. Um, and that'll benefit, you know, for top and use um, or for finishing lambs. A lot of time, if we're set stocking all of our in-buy, you know, throughout the year, the quality fairly goes down later in the summer, um, and you're not going to get strong land growth rates off of that. Yep. Um, yep. And the sort of general premise would be if you could if you could turn ewes into that each field at about eight to ten centimeters, um, and pull them out into the next field when it's down to about four or five centimeters. Um, if you kind of go above that in terms of entry height, you're going to have quality issues because it's going to be going to stem and leaf. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. not leaf, uh, stem. And um, if you're going below that kind of four or five centimeter gap, what you're doing is you're really breaking down that leaf um, and you'll have issues with regrowth. What, what what kind of suggestions, Daniel, would you have for, for farmers and crofters out there who are really looking to, to refine their grazing strategy, but maybe have, have never attempted to do this before, that this is the first time, what, what should they be doing as, as a, a standard practice? Yeah, so yeah, I think the first thing to do really, uh, if you're looking to sort of improve your grazing strategy or, or you're just you know, optimizing outputs uh, on a hill upland farm um, would be to first look at your soils um, and look at getting your soils sampled, uh, look at your pH, P's and K's, uh, and really looking at putting lime on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way you'll be better optimizing the fertilizer you're putting on. Um, you've also need to maybe, you could potentially look at looking at um, some reseeding or some elements of reseeding um, mm-hmm. and also maybe implementing some degree of rotational grazing uh, just to yeah. give the grass a better rest period between grazings um, and kind of improve utilization of that. Um, I think realistically, you know, if you're looking at a genuine hill farm and you've got a small area of in by, you really need to optimize that because we know there's restrictions on the hill uh, in terms of climate and soil type and the, the type of grazing that's up there. Um, so we really need to drive what we can do on the in by um, that's really where we can probably make our money. Yeah. Um, and in terms of that, in terms of also also improving sort of your soils and your grazing strategy, I'd also be looking at breeding um, mm-hmm. and implementing maybe a crossbred and upland type U um, breeding system to really optimize production on that. So what what, what type of system <laughs> w- w- would you be looking for there then, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, I think really what you've got to do firstly would be to be realistic in your sales outcomes. You know, so if you're running a fairly hard upland farm, um, you're never really going to be even with crossbred animals going to be hitting that kind of high summer prices. So if you know you're going to, you know, kind of be selling in the autumn when the prices are a bit lower, um, you've really got to aim to reduce costs. Um, mm-hmm. There's multiple ways of doing that, but one of the key ones that you can really go at 
um, is reducing your concentrate costs or your supplementary feed costs. Um, yep. So what I'd first looking at really is, is how does your lambing date coincide with lamb, you know, with lamb, um, so I'll say that again. What I'd really be looking at would be to assess when your graft really starts to grow, you know, when does, does, does your graft supply meet demand? Is you know That's when you're going to have to be starting to be feeding cake if you don't have enough graft at lambing time. Um, yep. You know, there's no harm in, in lambing down a crossbred ewe at the beginning of May if it means you can be lambing them outdoors or turning them mm -hmm. out of the shed without concentrated feeding. Um, yep. There's a lot of scope to save money there. Um, I think the other one as well would be really looking into uh, the selection when you're breeding, you know, when sorry, uh, would be to look at where sort of the breed you're looking at, but maybe more importantly, the breeders that you're buying from. Um, mm -hmm. So buying from a, a stud ram breeder that's kind of running the same system that you want to be doing, you are doing or want to be doing, uh, to be that, you know, on a grass-based system, um, maybe they're outdoor lambing, you're outdoor lambing, so that's the kind of traits. You want them to be breeding for the traits that are actually going to make you more profitable. So that's mm -hmm. not just output traits, you know, such as growth rate, the number of lambs, um, but it's lambing traits such as, you know, lamb survival, um, lamb vigor. Um, yeah. That's going to impede on your lamb survival. And if you want to move to an outdoor system, uh, lambing system, you know, that's key traits to get survival. And that's so you can actually improve your rearing percentage um, over that. The other one would be um, kind of keeping a close handle on your U weight. So having a moderate weight U um, that you can run on graphs through the year that's not reliant on getting supplementary feed, um, yeah. particularly in a more upland environment. Good. So... Daniel, how important is, is managing grass species and, and, and grazing intensity then for, for you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, in terms of if you're going to implement maybe a rotational grazing strategy, um, maybe there is a better system. You know, we know mm -hmm. that um, certain species like planting will benefit from a longer from a longer rest or a less intensive grazing. Um, yep. I should think it'll be the same for other upland, um, upland grasses. Um, there's not to say you can't do, you know, it doesn't have to be ryegrass that you're doing a rotational grazing system on. Um, mm -hmm. But it's probably better knowing or understanding the different kind of growth stages of each plant. Um, yep. I think there is certainly scope uh, on a lot of these uplands which haven't been maybe reseeded in 50 plus years that even if they have still got a fairly high content of, say, ryegrass or timothy that you're looking for, um, the newer varieties will inherently have a lot higher production potential um, and also the ability to maybe grow at earlier stages of the year. And um, mm -hmm. so by reseeding, you may be able to grow more grass, you know, in say April. Um, and as I was saying you know, earlier, then you've got more scope to maybe feed less concentrates run a more grass-based system. Um, I think absolutely, you know, within the in-buy, you should certainly be looking at some form of reseeding um, and whether that's with multi-species or a more standard um, sort of rye glass clover mix. Um, mm -hmm. Remembering that in the uplands, clover will grow at a slightly high, uh, sorry, clover will grow at a higher temperature. Um, so it is waiting to rather than kind of five degrees, it needs about eight degrees. Um, right. So perhaps you don't want a, a, an exceedingly high clover content if you're wanting to get early season grass. Um, there's other species like Timothy, which do grow at, at lower temperatures, um, which could be looked at. How important is incorporating um, kind of cattle grazing with, with sheep on the upland? Are you very much of the opinion that, that you can 
have a productive upland without cattle or, or is there a bit of give and take there? I would say you certainly can. Um, it's just all about management. Um, and, you know, you, cows and sheep can be complementary uh, in terms, you know, of utilising your grazing. Um, we know there's biodiversity benefits of having the cattle grazing in the summer, maybe as opposed to sheep. You, the you, or particularly you with twins, has quite a high energy demand. Um, and if grass does get ahead of them, say on the and by, and they're having to graze that, you're gonna, you're, it's going to knock production. Um, but a cow is better suited for eating that kind of rougher forage. Yep. Um, so perhaps you could have the ewes in front of the cattle in the rotation with the, with the cattle grazing down. Um, down to the residuals to maintain quality and there's also benefits in terms of um, warm control uh, between cattle and sheep. I think it would be uh, a fair point to, to mention you know a lot of a lot of grazing specialists a lot of grassland speakers um, have, have went round to, to lots of groups across Scotland now and advocated uh, the benefits of implementing uh, a New Zealand style grazing strategy. Um, is there, uh, you know, is there, is there things to be taken away from, from New Zealand um, and, and what they're doing or, or should we be looking at this on a, a, a kind of more national level and, you know, how how comparative are Scotland and New Zealand really, um, and and what lessons can be taken from them, if any? Yeah, absolutely, Alec. Um, what I would say is that really, what New Zealand are trying to do is make better, you know, best use of their grazing resources. Um, I think that's something we can absolutely take back, you know, back to the UK. Um, you know, there's been a lot of uptake in in recent years of people moving um, to a kind of rotational or more based grazing system. Um, I think it has a place even in the uplands. Um, you know, it, does, it doesn't have to be complicated. You know, it could even be, say, rather than one to three day shifts, you know, it could just be seven day shifts, um, which keeps things simple. Um, and a, a good way to start would just be to use what you've got on the farm. So say you've got maybe four parks, um, they might be fairly big, maybe five, six hectares. Um, and what you can do is rather than having all these just set stocked over it, just bunch them up. Say you have, you know, 200 odd, you know, use with twins uh, on that sort of area. Um, and you just move them between the parks, giving them sort of a week in each park. Um, and what that'll do is you'll improve utilization because they'll be better eating what's there, less picking and choosing. Um, and what you're also doing is giving those other parks 21 days rest. Um, and that allows the plant to build root reserves, build leaf matter, um, mm -hmm. and ultimately grow more grass uh, and also maintain quality through the year. It's just trial and error, really. You know, if you, if you just try it at this stage, um, if you find that the, oh, you're going into an entry height that's too much, what you can then do is take a park out for silage um, to mm -hmm. take, you know, just rotate them around those three parks whilst grass growth is high. Um, pull that park out for silage. Now, there is certainly a point with an upland farm or a hill farm is that you'd have to pick and choose your rotation sort of system so that you know that if you have to pull a field out, it needs to be one that you can you can top or you can, you know, do something else with. Um, mm -hmm. so you've got to prioritise grazing those steeper banks um, to maintain quality in those ones because your only option there is to graze them down. Um, you've also got options, as you said earlier on, with cattle where you could, in sort of maybe later summer, leave that as a, as a deferred bank of grazing. So rather than cutting it, which you could do on the hills, um, which you can't do on the hills, you could uh, then strip graze that with cattle later on. Um, 
or there would be options as well where say after weaning the ewes are weaned they've you know they're only getting maintenance feeding to then utilize that kind of rougher ranker grass then good it, it does sound daniel like you're you're kind of advocating for a, a strong um productive in buy that will allow you to to increase utilization of, of, of the uplands would that would that be fair to say yeah, no, absolutely. I think your in buys your key really to profitability um, on a hill farm. It's your, it's your opportunity that you have with grazing strategies, with you know improved breeding, to really to really build on you know build production. So what what uh, what what would you kind of advocate in terms of grazing strategies on on a hill? Well, you know naturally you've got limited opportunities for say you know grazing improvements, um, or in terms of you know cost effectiveness of subdivision of a hill. Um, so really what I'd be looking at would be to assess the sort of production potential on that hill at different times of the year um, and what you're trying to get out of your use um, and base it on that. So you, you know, you body condition scoring uh, and land performance mm-hmm. and maybe no, don't be tied down to sort of traditional dates that you've always done things. You know, so if you, if you get your use in, say, at kind of eight week, eight week stage because you're doing vaccinations, things like that, getting a handle on the use and understanding what stage they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's absolutely a place um, for maybe looking at a slightly earlier weaning, even on hill flocks. Because um, we know, so after 12 weeks of age, the lamb's getting almost no energy that it's, uh, from milk. Um, mm-hmm. And now it's now basically 100% reliant or 90% reliant um, on the forage resource that's in front of them um, on a kind of a, a hard heather hill. Um, that you're, you know, you're really limiting the, the, the opportunities for lamb growth there. Um, which they might be better utilised if they were on on the ground uh, on the in buy. When you're devising a grazing strategy, Daniel, how reliant are you on um, your kind of standard livestock units? Um, or are you are, are you very much um, devising a, a strategy based on the, the sheep that you know and the land that you know? Um, what's what's your kind of methodology when it comes to, to putting together a grazing strategy? Yeah, no, it has to be catered um, to the farm in hand, to the stock in hand, Alec. Um, you know, you, you need to get a handle on what the grass is there. Um, different swords will also have different potential as well. You know, so if you've got a mixed mm-hmm. sword, it might have a different dry matter for the same, um, you know, grazing height. So you need yep. to factor that in. Um, I think it's absolutely essential to get a handle on the ewes and sort of ewe weights as well uh, and production. Do you have any advice for any farmers or crofters that are listening to this? Um, as to what they should be looking out for this summer? Yeah, um, I would just say it's, it's been dry, very dry. There's, you know, grass is certainly behind. Um, and we might not always be aware of that, you know, if we are kind of running a, a more extensive stocking system or a set stocking system even on the in-buy. Um, I think the first thing to do will be to look at your winter feed plan. So have you got enough silage? How much more silage do you need to do? Um, and then just doing a kind of basic feed budget uh, to better understand, you know, your supply and demand. Um, and if you do find that you're, you know, you're in a position now, you know, where you know grazing is going to be tight going forward, um, looking at your options that you've got, um, which if you're on a set stocked option, may actually be to maybe move to what I was saying earlier on about a, even a kind of a basic rotational system um, so that you're better utilizing the grass that you've got. So within a given paddock, you know, you're, you're, you're stretching that out more. Um, so you're moving from, say, utilizing half the grass that's growing so you're wasting half on a set system uh, mm-hmm. to maybe utilizing 60% on a kind of a loose weekly you know rotation 
um, or if you wanted to subdivision with electric fence and you can get up to 85%. So you're really utilizing all the grass that you're growing. Um, and that way that you flock will be using less. You'll then have more ground for say doing silage uh, or finishing lambs on. Yep. Um, and the next thing really going into autumn is that you do, you, you've always got to prioritize the use. So prioritize you condition uh, and ground for topping. Um, whether that mm -hmm. means selling lambs off um, earlier than normal, you know, you've got to assess these things. Um, another option would be um, looking at earlier weaning, which can be done, you know, without hampering, um, you know, lamb growth rates at as early as nine to 10 weeks. Um, and okay. if grass is in short supply, what you're going to find there is that by weaning the lambs, you can give them the priority grazing. They're no longer competing with the ewes. And because the ewes are then, you know, drying off, their, their energy requirements are so much lower, they're only on maintenance. They can then say, if you're a hill farm, be turned onto the hill, provided there's grazing up there. Um, mm -hmm. Or just run a lot tighter. You can feed them a lot less. They can go around on a maintenance diet um, and that'll stretch your grazing further. One of the one of the uh, elements of the agri-environment climate scheme is this idea of away wintering um, and receiving a, a, a top-up payment for, for undertaking that. What's your view on away wintering? Is there scope to utilize a hill um, later on in the year or, or is this really something that we should be pushing in the summer? It turns, I think there's huge benefits uh, to away wintering any system or not away wintering necessarily, but just getting the stock off that main grazing platform uh, and allowing the grass to rest over the winter. Um, mm -hmm. you, know, a lot of, you know, a lot of farms will be set stocking all through the winter. They're getting fed silage, but they're still, they're still ranging out. Um, and what you're doing there is really depleting the grass, the leaves of the grass and its root reserves um, and its ability to bounce back in the spring. Um, mm -hmm. So if you can get your ewes away or even maybe moving the ewes from the inby onto an area of hill, um, you know, where they're getting fed silage out and allowing that grass to rest, um, you can certainly grow more grass in the spring uh, and that gives you options to feed less concentrates and, you know, reduce your costs there. Um, and really targeting when you're closing off fields in the autumn as well. So great grazing them down to, you know, four centimetres, three centimetres, but then giving them that break for, to allow them when there's still a bit of grass growth left in the autumn to grow back a leaf, which they can carry through the winter um, and use to photosynthesize and grow again in the spring. Daniel, are, are there any practices, any breeds out there, anything particularly innovative that has really caught your attention recently? I think a scheme or, or, or a series of breeders um, that really caught my attention, I think it's well worth looking for any hill farmer breeding hill type ewes. Um, is the uptake of, of performance recording uh, in hill sheep just now. So you've got the maternal sheep group up in Scotland, um, you know, recording, series of them recording blackies. Um, you've got a new group down in the um, North Yorkshire Moors uh, recording Swaledales. Uh, and down in Wales, they've got a big uh, industry scheme uh, run by HCC um, looking at um, performance recording uh, Welsh hill breeds. So that's your okay. Welsh, particularly the Welsh mountain breed. Um, I was lucky enough working on my last job to actually be involved in that, um, in which I was on a couple of farms doing the DNA sampling uh, and so for, for parentage assignment uh, on these flocks. Um, and what they're really looking to do is to improve output of the hill flocks. In a hill system, a lot of people might be skeptical, you know, think if, if theirs is a harder hill, they're not going to get that. Um, but we know within a group of ewes on a hill, there's always variation. Um, and although you might not see quite as an extreme as, you know, a two kilo difference, some of these lambs, 
what you have got is a lamb when it gets onto the in by onto good ground will have better growth potential and the ability to you know grow on faster and finish finish earlier. What is your impression, Daniel, on the uptake of, of stuff like that across Scotland? Do you, do you think it's been fairly limited right now? Do you think it's on the increase? Um, you know, are, are these case studies um, going to be be something that can be spread out across Scotland? Yeah, absolutely. I think it it has been limited, but it's growing, as you say. And um, there is a, a slowly increasing in uptake. What's really been limited in terms of the hill rams um, has been that ability because you have to have assigned parentage. Um, and so it's, it's tagging at birth that puts a lot of people off um, mm-hmm. and doing this. It's more work. Um, what I would say, you know, for the kind of, for your, your, your commercial hill farmer, um, I'm not advocating in any way that they start doing that. What they should be doing is looking at buying rams from breeders that are doing so. You know, buying yep. rams with EBVs, um, not just for growth rates, but also, you know, for, for milking ability. Uh, so females that will milk more, uh, produce more lambs, lamb survival, things like that. Um, and for those commercial farms, what I'd be looking at doing um, is really just, you know, setting about a more structured breeding policy um, and, and a, a more structured culling policy. So identifying problem animals uh, and recording them, be it with EID or notching or, or marking um, and culling those out the flock. Um, so even without performance recording, you can make gains. You know, you're removing the animals which need assistance at lambing uh, or produce lambs with poor vigor. Um, and it's also important to notch or mark their 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 offspring as well, so they're not retained. W- would you, Daniel? Do you take quite a hard line when it comes to culling policy? I know that there will be people listening to this who you know have their favourite yow that they just can't see away. Um, what, what what's your view with culling? You know, should you be quite tough with it? I would say absolutely, and particularly going forward, if, if we're trying to breed or if you're trying to go to a, low, a lower input system to reduce costs, you need to breed an animal that's easier care uh, and that requires you know less moddy coddling. Um, mm-hmm. And this is one that's what, certainly one way of doing it. We need to be realistic or look at look at what your outcomes you're trying to achieve as well. But if we're on a harder hill and we're you know, we're limited in by or we want to use more crossbreed animals on the in by, you know, ch- chasing a scanning percentage, for example. You know, to get to gain more multiples might not be the most effective way of doing it. The average uh, rearing percentage for hill farms, according to QMS this year, last year, uh, was 89% rearing, uh, with the top farmers achieving uh, 104% rearing. Um, I think it's important to look at how you're going to improve that. You know, or look at the resources that are available to you. Um, you know, we can feed for we can feed more and probably achieve that. You know, a higher a higher twinning rate. Um, but is that the most cost-effective way of doing it? You know, for, you know, increasing supplementation. Um, I would say one thing to really look at on that front would be looking at barren rate uh, and new mortality as a way of increasing increasing your rearing percentage. Um, the average LFA new mortality this last year, uh, according to QMS, was eight point eight percent. Okay. Which is incredibly high, and that's where the the, the real crash in in rates coming from. Um, so on that front, it'd be looking at setting a health plan out with your vet, um, looking at screening for things like OPA, uh, your fluke, you know, your fluking policy, um, and really looking at body condition score targets. So managing your grazing and your feeding uh, to keep using a condition um, that's healthy and also optimizes uh, production. At top end for your hill you, that would be looking at getting a 2.5 uh, body condition score. 
Uh, and then your more upland in by use, you'd be looking to get them from a three and a three and a three and a half. Um, mm-hmm. And what you're going to do there is that that is going to optimize your your scanning. So the number of multiples you're going to have, and also your barren rate, you'll get less reabsorption um, of fetus uh, and less losses to lamin. Um, and a ewe that has more condition, a lot less loss through the through the winter, um, will have improved lamb survival um, and lamb vigor as well, and will better be able to milk. Um, and that really starts to get to get to to get to that point. Um, we've got to consider how long it'll take for one you to actually gain condition. Um, yep. So if a you, you know, they're always going to lose conditions. If you can try and hold it through winter, um, ultimately a you is efficient by actually being able to milk off her own back uh, through the summer. Um, but ultimately, if you're, if you're looking to gain, say, one body condition score, which is about 12% of a ewe's weight, um, if we're talking about a kind of a 50, 55 kilo uh, hill ewe, um, it's going to take her a good eight weeks, even on in by good grazing, to gain that one body condition score. So if she comes off the hill at one, if she's 1.5 at weaning, and you need to get up to 2.5, if you're not weaning until September, say, uh, or even later, you've got to be realistic of what resources you need to get that you back up to condition. Um, you know, realistically, at that point, you've now got uh, from a December uh, topping date, 12 weeks to achieve that. Now. If the, gra- if the grazing even on the in-buy is going to poor quality in November, um, realistically, that ewe is now going to have to be turned on to the in-buy to regain all that condition. Um, mm-hmm. So one opportunity uh, would be looking at alien weaning or managing your hill grazing uh, and new condition. You know, don't be tied down to traditional dates. Um, so you could even look at, say, if it's a May lambing, uh, say a, mid, a mid-August weaning. Um, we know at that point, Milk's not really contributing much to the lamb's diet anymore, and actually they're competing with the mother for for the grass that's there. Uh, and on a on a hill system or a, or a heather hill, um, it's not a high quality feed that's been in front of the lamb. And actually, the lamb would do better being weaned and battened onto the in by. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and you know, weaned lambs uh, off the hill have the potential, say in August when the grazing is fairly good, to gain sort of a kilo a week. Um, whilst on the you know on the hill, that's going to be half of that. Um, you know, we know that come August, lamb lamb growth rates on a on a hard hill are going to drop, um, and it would benefit both parties, the you and the lamb, to be weaned at that point. Um, so what we'll have then is another month, say, of of grazing time for the you to regain condition, and she'll be better able to do that on the hill because she'll have more time yep. to do so. Um, you know, even if she can only gain you know sixty grams a day, if she's got four months, she can realistically achieve that. Um, whilst if not, if you're weaning later and she has to go in by, that's her using your in by resources, which would be better placed for, say, your cross use or finishing lambs. Looking at the dates and if you've got them in for their eight week weights, for example, getting a handle on the use, assessing what lamb performance is like. Um, if, if they are in again at 12 weeks, absolutely, that is the time to be assessing it. Should you be weaning then, you know, would they be better off being weaned? Finally, Daniel, you've uh, you've been involved in uh, in um... Farm Max um, and uh, heavily involved with with the the grassland specialist team um, here at SAC. Do you want to give a kind of overview of what it is you're looking into with them, um, and and whether or not you feel there's any kind of um, industry potential there? Yeah. So what what Farm Max is? Uh, it's a modelling software in which you essentially you input your grazing, your 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 grass, your 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 average farm covers. Um, 
and through that you do need to be measuring you know out with a, with a plate meter uh, to understand the grass that you've got in front of you um, and you're also inputting all of your your, your livestock data so production potential uh, the weights of stock uh, you know what you're looking to achieve and it's, it's a modeling software that it allows you to better understand your impact that your your grazing's having on on the longer term grazing platform um, and what it allows you to do is then model model different scenarios um, you know, it might be as simple as how many more stock can I have? Um, and you might be able to carry more stock in the summer. But if you've got too many stock in the autumn, what you're going to do is you're going to impede that residual you're maintaining in the, in the autumn, going into winter and to spring um, and impacting your grass in the following year, its ability to grow quickly in the springtime. And then you'd be needing to then, you know, supplementary feed uh, to maintain those covers going ahead. Um, I think it's really exciting. We've you know, we've got some really good uh, case study farms and what we've been really looking at is how to better incorporate, um, you know, things like forage crops into that system, uh, mm -hmm. you know, for, for, you know, sp you know, for the winter time, uh, better strategic use of fertilizer as well. It's another option. Yep. So do I need to put that late summer uh, fertilizer on? Um, again, you know, we're talking about weaning there. Uh, farm access can be hugely useful with farms just now going into this kind of this drought period where they can assess what the impact of different scenarios would be and what's the most cost effective. You know, be that weaning fertilizer, you know, once you've got the rain to, you know, to utilize that fertilizer, um, you know, is the opportunities there to put the forage crops in? Um, what should they be doing? Should they be selling stock earlier? If they sell stock earlier before everyone else does, you know, because they're ahead of the game because they've got this modeling software, um, can they hit higher prices as well? Does changing weather patterns and, and things like climate change, obviously, we, we know that um, that's going to present challenges for, for farming in Scotland in the future. And in fact, it is presenting challenges now. But are there, are there opportunities there within the sheep sector to really take advantage of things? You know, is earlier lambing a, a possibility? Is that something that people should be looking at? Um, you know, are there concerns in the back end of the year? Um, if, if things are going to get wetter and milder through the winter, are there things that we should be looking out for? Yeah, I mean, with, with you know, with with more variation in climate, um, and ultimately, um, you know, grass growth or utilization issues, um, it's just a case, I think, more of doing more recording. Um, you know, the, the more data you've got, the more uh, handle you've got on the situation, you're better able to adapt to that. Yeah, just being being more being more resilient, really, um, or more adaptable to the situation. I mean, back back home, we we lamb relatively early anyway. I wouldn't say that that we were particularly typical, but I I do think that there's there's maybe potential there to to move outside of what is common practice and and to capitalise on that. And you mentioned, um, you know, maybe targeting an earlier or later market. So um, I do think there's the scope there to to look at something. Yeah, absolutely. The other one to look at as well, um, you know, with a changing climate or more grass. So you said there's more grass sometimes in autumn would be to how best utilize that and, and can you you know maybe through a more a block grazing system can you stretch that further into the winter you know can you can you have use on grass maybe not all grass wintering you know we know it's possible maybe in the south uh southwest of scotland um but can you can you use that to reduce your wintering costs so just taking advantage of of the opportunities that arise or be more flexible do, do you think though i mean it, it's widely accepted that as temperatures increase 
uh, we might see um, an increased presence of, of pests and diseases in this country. Is there anything that folks should really be looking out for um, to, to be very vigilant of? Yep, or there's one closer to home um, in, in your flute control. And yep. what they found in a lot of, you know, a lot of the SAC labs have found that they're finding immature fluke a lot later in the season. You know, there's, there's changes in the, the snail and fluke uh, life cycle due to the changing weather. Um, and that's going to impact the target, you know, what, what, what chemicals we can use. Basically, people are getting immature fluke coming later on. And actually what, what's happening now is that if you're just using a, a clostantil, you're not actually going to be killing the fluke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and as uh, antibiotic use becomes further reduced, we're only going to be put under more and more stress of what we can and can't apply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Can you can you summarize what 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 are you what what's the key points that you want people to take away from this podcast? What should people really be be looking at if they want to improve the utility of their, their upland um, upland grassland? Yeah, no, I just say that I think now is the time to really be looking at your business, uh, looking at you know your grazing that you've got, um, doing some benchmarking, uh, looking at your system, um, and really striving, I would say, to optimize performance, but also looking at looking at how you can reduce inputs um, and make yourself more resilient, less reliant on or, you know on bought-in supplementation, for example. Um, and one of the key ways of doing that is, particularly an upland farm, how do you maximize the output or production potential of your in-buy? Um, so getting yourself sampled, uh, maybe looking at some rotational grazing, um, and just looking at you know your yearly calendar. So you know when you lamb, um, can you better match that with grass growth? Uh, so, you know, so better matching supply and demand. Uh, maybe looking at weaning dates, looking at your ewe condition scoring. Um, all these things can help you optimize production, but also uh, reduce costs. All right, thank you very much. Cheers, Alec. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions about what you've heard today, you can call the Farm Advisory Service Advice Line at 0300 323 0161 or email advice at faz.scot.